0: Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from a mix of experienced medical device and med tech experts. These proven mentors will show you how to master the med tech space on your own terms without going to school.
1: Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson.
0: The 2.3 medical device tax is burdensome. Regulatory timelines are long and expensive. Reimbursement is not only decreasing, but also incredibly hard to obtain. Venture capitalists are losing interest in early stage medical device deals. Is it all downhill for Medtech? There's no doubt the current healthcare environment is challenging, but certainly not impossible. Case in point, Intersect ENT. The startup medical device company is well-funded, as evidenced by the recent Series C round of financing. They were able to get regulatory approval for a device plus drug combination product. And perhaps most impressive, they're actually expanding their sales force. In this interview with Lisa Earnhardt, President and CEO of Intersect ENT, we'll learn how this medical device startup company is succeeding despite the strong headwinds within the medtech space. Here are the few things we're going to cover in this interview. Can ENT companies steal the drug-eluting stent playbook from the cardiology space? Was the regulatory pathway for the Propel device more difficult because of the device plus drug combination? What has been the biggest challenge to increased adoption of Intersect's Propel device? Did Intersect ENT consider launching their medical devices with an indirect sales force? How important are large strategic medtech companies in terms of providing capital for startup medical device companies? And how will medtech companies need to change considering the strong headwinds of longer regulatory timelines, lower reimbursement figures, and changing healthcare delivery models? Of course, there's a lot more information we're going to cover in this interview with Lisa, but before we dig in, you need to listen to these brief two messages. Job leads, opportunities to network access to specialized groups, meaningful discussion and debate. Sound interesting? Then you should check out the Medical Devices Group on LinkedIn. It's the industry's only spam-free, curated forum for intelligent conversations with medical device thought leaders. Not only that, but it's the single largest medical group on all of LinkedIn. Medical device professionals worldwide are invited to join the Medical Devices Group to help build their personal and corporate brands. Check it out, medicaldevicesgroup.net. Again, that's medicaldevicesgroup.net. As a reminder, MedSider is on iTunes. Just go to medsider.com forward slash iTunes, and you could subscribe to the podcast for free. That way, all the new episodes will automatically download to your iTunes account. It's super easy. Also, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it. That really helps us out. Okay, for you ambitious med tech and medical device doers, here's your program. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of MedSider. This is your host, Scott Nelson. And for those of you who are new to the program, this is a a show where I bring on experienced and proven medtech thought leaders uh, in order order to learn uh, uh, about a wide variety of topics um, all pertaining to the medical device space. And on today's program, we have Lisa Earnhardt, who is the president and CEO of Intersect ENT, Prior to joining Intersect ENT, Lisa was the president of Boston Scientific's Cardiac Surgery Division. And then previous to that, Lisa held a wide variety of sales and marketing positions at Guidant. She has extensive experience with global product launches and driving adoption of new technologies, including implantable cardiac defibrillators, endoscopic vessel harvesting, surgical ablation, and beating heart bypass surgery. Lisa holds an MBA from Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management and a B.S. in Industrial Engineering from Stanford. That was a big intro, um, and uh, without further ado, welcome to the program, Lisa. really appreciate you coming on.
1: Thanks, Scott. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Okay, so let's first start out
0: with um, Intersect Anti, your devices, uh, Propel, and then Propel Mini. Let's talk about the disease state that you're, uh, that you're, um, you're trying to treat, chronic sinusitis. Um, can you explain what that is? And maybe um, previous to Propel and some of the other therapies, how did physicians treat this?
1: Yeah, it's a great place to start. Um, chronic sinusitis is a condition in which patients' sinuses become swollen and inflamed. And um, you know what's most important is it leads to congestion, difficulty breathing, facial pain, a headache, um, along with actually reducing your sense of smell and taste. Um, it's It's interesting to note, actually, the condition is quite common. It affects, actually, one out of seven adults here in the U.S. alone and has a big impact on patients' quality of life. Um, In terms of how it's treated, it actually requires uh, what I would call a complex combination of surgical and medical treatments. So there are about a half a million patients every year that undergo sinus surgery for chronic sinusitis. Um, And while the sinus surgery is effective, um, unfortunately, the majority of patients Uh, experience recurrent symptoms within the first year. Hmm. And as many as 25% undergo revision surgery due to recurrent obstruction in the cavity. So we believe that at Intersect, we're playing a really critical role in improving sinus sufferers' quality of life really across the continuum of
0: their disease. Got it. So, So just to repeat, one out of every seven adults approximately here in the U.S. alone are affected by chronic sinusitis. And then you said about 500 million surgeries per year uh, to treat? 500,000 surgeries per year. 500,000. Yeah. 500, yeah. 500 million, that'd be an absolutely enormous number. 500,000, which is still a relatively big number. Okay, very good. So is, yeah, there a certain, no, is. Is, is there a certain sort of treatment algorithm that most physicians use right now um, to treat this disease? Does it start with medical therapy and then adv- advance on into, into surgery?
1: Yeah, Scott, the, the otolaryngologist, which is the physician community that treats the chronic sinus patients, really starts with the first line of therapy for most things they do with medical therapy. So it's a, it's a mixture of, um, uh, of of various drugs that they use, whether it be Uh, some form of steroid, whether it be nasal steroids, oral steroids, antibiotics, antifungals, saline irrigations you know, the list goes on and on. And the goal is really to control and alleviate the patient's symptoms first with medical therapy. When that fails, and it does, um, obviously, with some frequency, a surgical procedure really is the next best option. And that's where the half a million patients a year, or the 500,000 uh, surgeries that are done each year are really those who failed medical management. Ultimately, it is a chronic disease, so even after a patient has had sinus surgery, um, the patients typically are managed uh, for a lifetime by the ENT or the ear, nose, and throat physician. Okay, and then that the, those surgeries that
0: that tip that that go on right now. Are, are they fairly invasive and are your, and we'll talk a little bit next about your, uh, your devices um, that you manufacture at e, uh, Intersect, but um, the surgeries right now, are they, are they pre-invasive then?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the ENTs over the years, like with most procedures, have continued to um, introduce new uh, technologies and new techniques to reduce the invasiveness of the procedure. Uh, the standard procedure is an, done endoscopically Um, So it's actually called endoscopic sinus surgery, and that uses, you know, various surgical tools to remove inflamed tissues and really open up that passageway. Um, You may have heard of the balloon technology that was pioneered um, by a number of uh, startups in our space as well, Um, and now, you know, the largest company is actually part of J&J. But they're they're, you know, they basically have been a surgical tool that's been used to um, to open up the cavity, so yeah, just another way to, to, to do that in a less invasive fashion.
0: Got it, okay, and you, you mentioned balloon sinuplasty, companies like Aclarent, that's now owned by, uh, by J&J, Intelis, which uh, is a standalone, uh, standalone device company, um, they fall under the balloon sinuplasty. So your device, Propel, and maybe you can speak to it right now, how is it, how is it different than some of those, some of those technologies?
1: Yeah, I mean, we I would view our technology as very complementary to balloon technology. Um, It really comes down to what we believe is the fundamental cause of chronic sinusitis, and that is inflammation. Um, And so it's that inflammation that then causes the obstruction. And so with Propel, um, we've got a controlled release of an anti-inflammatory medication, which gets to the root of the issue. Um, what the balloons do, they, they're basically mechanically opening up the passageway, which does solve a very important part of the problem, but Propel really takes it that next step by delivering drugs locally to the sinus tissue where it's needed. Got it. Okay.
0: And I, and I think in, in, in doing some research in preparation for this interview, um, I, I pulled out a quote, doctor, I think it's from Dr. J. Dutton, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He says, I'm, I'm somewhat paraphrasing here, but the delivery of drugs is an important niche in our field and it's very important. Um, chronic sinusitis is more of an inflammatory disease than an infectious disease, which you pointed out there. So a big difference, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correct, is the fact that, um, um, that you're actually delivering drugs versus simply opening up the nasal passages like a, like a balloon would in the vascular world.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Got it. Okay, and and, and speaking of the, the vascular world, it seems like there is a, a fairly strong correlation, and and, and I, I I speak to the vascular world just because that tends to be my wheelhouse. I'm more familiar with the endovascular space. So, um, just as you know, drug eluting stents, um, you know, pioneered sort of like a whole new wave within the uh, within the coronary endovascular space. Is that? I mean, we kind of see the same thing for for the for the ENT arena, where um, balloons and maybe you know. St- Stents, stent-like devices, won't just be it. it. It will be more like somewhat drug-eluting, you know, devices like Propel that are that kind of, you know, forge a, forge a whole new, a whole new trail for the for the uh, for ways ENT uh, can can treat this disease.
1: Yeah, it is a great analogy, Scott, to draw upon. Is that there's obviously you know much like in the cardiology world where you know the introduction of um, you know the various balloons and wires and stents and drug eluting stents and the evolution there to a less invasive, more targeted therapy is very similar to what the otolaryngology community is is going to with the treatment of chronic sinus disease. Um, so we do see some similarities there. It's obviously a different, um, you know, therapeutic. Um, you know, challenge and a different disease, and some of there's some nuances there that are different. But we do see a sort of a suite of products being used by the ENT, sort of similar to how an interventional cardiologist would treat their patients.
0: Got it. Okay, uh, very cool. And 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 these procedures right now, like like the standard balloon sinuplasty procedure, for example, is that done in a in an OR setting right now? Is it done more of an in, in an interventional suite? And then where where would a uh, an ENT physician, where would they use like a propel? Would they would they do that in the same sort of interventional suite, or can they can they use this in, in like an in office or in clinic um, procedure?
1: Yeah, the majority of patients who are undergoing a sinus procedure have that done in a um, uh, OR setting. It typically is in the outpatient setting, although the trend is, in what we really believe the future to be, in treating these patients. Um, less, and, uh, less invasively, more cost-effectively in the office setting, um, and the balloon companies have, you know, a small portion of their um, business today, and volume is done in the office setting, and we definitely see um, the, the sort of future heading there, which provides a really – it's really a win for everyone involved, right? You know, the right. patient, uh, the physician who can offer something right there on the spot, and then ultimately the healthcare system um, in, in that it is cost-saving and definitely provides economic value as well as clinical value.
0: Right, right, yeah. To, to your point, it seems like everyone wins, and, and we've certainly seen a large number of, of, of interventionalists, whether it's an interventional cardiologist or a vascular surgeon, you know, set up their own, their, their own physician-owned labs where they can, in essence, treat you know, peripheral arterial disease in an outpatient setting. Sounds like something that we may, we may see the same thing for ENT physicians, where they can begin to treat this disease state in their clinic or in maybe like a physician-owned lab and like you just said, it's probably it's cheaper for the insurance companies, it's, it's better for the patients, it's, you know, the physicians win as well because it's more convenient, um, et cetera, so um, that's, that's, that's interesting. So in regards to that, um, that, that treatment of, of in the hospital versus in the clinic, what, what does the, the reimbursement look like for, for devices like Propel um, currently?
1: Yeah, so Propel is used in conjunction with sinus surgery, so it's really treated as a supplier, probably more specifically as an implant as part of the overall sinus surgery. Okay. Um obviously the reimbursement structure varies uh, per each hospitals and payers, you know, patient payers contracts. Um, but sinus surgery is typically reimbursed as an outpatient procedure. Okay. Okay. So so is it am I am I understanding this
0: correct where someone potentially could an ENT physician could potentially open up the nasal patches way with balloon sinuplasty and then insert the Propel, and, and and we'll get into this, Propel Mini, I'm not entirely sure what the difference is between the two devices, but basically then insert Propel, and then that that is then sort of bioabsorbable? Is that?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that's a very common way in which our product is used, and, and Propel, just to comment a little bit about that, has been proven to improve the outcomes of sinus surgery. So we're really starting first with that patient population and, and trying to um, focus on uh, the benefits we can provide with local drug delivery. So we've been able to prove that Propel reduces the need for additional surgical procedures as well as reduces the need for oral steroids, which can have serious side effects. So um, obviously for patients, it um, leads to improved quality of life due to reduction in d- disease occurrence. Um, and for the physician and improves their outcomes, so it's a good. Uh, it's, it's been a great um, and well received product by the otolaryngology community.
0: Got it. And, and before before I get into you know maybe some of the challenge that challenges that you've seen to actually because it seems like a I mean a phenomenal idea, um, and a phenomenal device. Before I get into some of the challenges to adoption, um, the regulatory pathway um, is is it. Because you're actually releasing, because Propel, I should say, is actually releasing a drug, is it, is the, was the regulatory pathway more challenging then with kind of the, the, the device drug combination versus just a standalone device?
1: Um, absolutely. We are, uh, we are a combination product, so we work with not only CDRH, but CDR as part of the FDA. And there's also a, a Third uh, division there, which is the office accommodation product. So we feel a lot of love from the uh, FDA here, um, and Propel and Propel Mini were both approved um, via the PMA process. Okay, okay, got it. Um, okay, so
0: back to the back to the challenges. You've you've obviously explained the benefits, where which are seem to be you know there seem to be a lot of benefits benefits I should say to, to to the to the device. What So far, I mean, what, what has been some of the, the bigger challenges to adoption within the, within the ENT physician community?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I would say that, you know, the reception from the ENT community as general has been, you know, quite positive, including um, the major societies. I think one of the reasons because of that is that we know that the ENT physician is really looking for clinical data to support new technologies, and, um, and I do think that's where Intersect ENT has been unique Um, in that Propel is is the only medical device that's used in sinus surgery that's been backed by level 1A clinical evidence. Um, And so between the clinical data, the fact that the product really is intuitive. Mm -hmm. um, You know, physicians, obviously, you want your sinuses open and you want the inflammation to be minimal. And so they have been trying for years to get... Um, steroid to the patient's sinuses, um, locally to no avail. And so we, you know, basically just gave them what, what they needed. So, you know, there's been challenges as they always will be when you're, you know, we're, we are a new product or a new company. Um, and so working with the various, you know, uh, physicians in the, in the hospitals, you know, there's a lot of startup, um, work that needs to be done. But generally we've been thrilled with the, um, the rapid adoption and acceptance of the technology in the medical community.
0: Great, and then and then prior to this, um, yeah. Like as I mentioned before, you spent a lot of time with guidance. Um, a lot of your experiences in the you know in the kind of the, the cardiovascular arena. How how do ENT physicians compare to you know cardiologists and vascular surgeons? Do they uh, are there similarities? Are there major differences? Can you can you speak to that at all?
1: Yeah, I mean they tend to be a more conservative specialty in general. I do think they try to first address patient symptoms and disease medically, um, but I would I would also say that prior to the balloon technology and the really all the innovative surgical techniques or, and tools that um, Medtronic released with the microdebrider um, and other um, surgical tools that they've introduced, there really hasn't been a lot of new technologies in the space, and so. Unlike with cardiology, for example, where um, there has been a lot of investment and focus by, in particular, the big med tech companies, mm-hmm. um, the otolaryngology community really hasn't had that. And so it's been an underserved market. And so I do think, you know, while they tend to be more conservative, they're really appreciative and receptive to working with us in advancing patient care. Got it.
0: Okay, very interesting. Um, and I, I I would think that you know startups. Like, I mentioned Clarent, for example. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they 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 blazed a a, a decent little trail in regards to balloon sinuplasty. I, I That that probably helped. Um, you know, ENT physicians maybe become a little bit more accom- accustomed to a lot of focus from from industry.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, a clearing in a number of ways uh, blazed the trail for us and and many others, and we're. We're appreciative of the of the work that they did do, and have been able to learn from them as well. Got it. Got it.
0: And I want to save. I want to ask you a few more questions in regards in regards to this. You know, the topic at hand before we get into some questions about some of the some of the the, the trends and, and headwinds that are facing the medical device, uh, um, the medical device industry right now. But before we get there, commercialization. You mentioned that that Propel and Propel Mini both both um, uh, you you have a PMA for both devices. From a commercialization standpoint, are you using utilizing a direct sales force, indirect sales force? What does that look like here in the U.S. anyway?
1: Yeah, we, we decided to move forward with a direct sales force. It's so important for us, especially early on as a small company, to, to develop a strong partnership and understanding of the physicians and how they see our product being used. Um, and so we have hired a, a sales force. We actually started in a very focused fashion in Six markets um, really driving traction, developing that recipe for success, um, and based on that, uh, we had made the decision to move forward uh, with um, an expansion, and so that's the stage we're in right now. So I think we have about 20 folks um, out in the field here in the U.S. Um, today.
0: Okay, and and is that uh, you have to be? Are, are you currently expanding your sales force then?
1: Yes, absolutely. So oh. we've uh, we've just added a, a, a quite a quite a number, and we, and we do plan to every you know periodically continue to add uh, waves of uh, representatives as the business dictates. So so not all is doom
0: and gloom in the world of medical devices. You heard it here first. A, a medical device company is actually expanding their sales force.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, uh, We're thrilled to be in this position, and I realize uh, it's not. Uh, it's not common, and we've had pretty significant growth as a as a business, and uh, it's fun to be in the high growth scaling mode because I know it's uh you know there's a there's a different world out there today.
0: Oh yeah, no no doubt, and and it, and it certainly helps that your devices propel and propel many you know fall under the the novel uh you know sort of therapy. So I mean that that certainly helps, and and you know um, in, in in terms of uh, you know uh, commercializing or, or justification for for a, a larger sales force so very cool so um a couple last questions here i, I recently no, uh, noticed that cook um is is getting into the the ent space that's interesting if you maybe can make a, a comment about that um, and then also what's you know what's next for for intersect in terms of um you know maybe an exit strategy or is is an actual public offering sort of you know potentially a possibility as well
1: Yeah, so I think in terms of Cook, I mean, I think it's always exciting to hear of yet another company who sees the growth potential of focusing on solutions for ENT physicians and their patients. So we view that as a very good thing. Uh, the more the merrier at this stage. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of next for, for Intersect, I mean, first and foremost, it's continuing to drive innovation. So we've just started a significant clinical program. It's called Resolve and it's an in-office solution for patients with recurrent sinus obstruction. You know, once again, this is a less invasive, more cost-effective solution, which really will provide a very important treatment alternative for physicians, um, for patients, for the healthcare system. It's one of those, you know, truly win-win-wins. Um, and then in terms of, you know, what's next, you know, what, whether it's an M&A, whether it's an IPO, you know, I'm sure your crystal ball is as, uh, as good as mine. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be in a position where we're, we're well-funded. Uh, we don't need to um, seek additional funding. So our, our focus today is really building a standalone business that will deliver meaningful value um, for our shareholders while creating um, meaningful innovation for our, our physician customers and patients. Um, so you know the majority of medical device exits are via an acquisition. Mm-hmm. And um, that said, you know we're hopeful um, you know a couple years from now there will be an IPO market for med devices and that we could be a potential candidate. Yeah,
0: very good. And 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 while we're on that subject, so this provides that provides a little bit of a nice uh, a nice segue into some of the headwinds that that the the, the med tech industry is currently facing. M and A activity versus actually versus versus you know the public market through an IPO. Do you, do you see maybe that that market opening back up in two to three years? What's your take on that?
1: You know, it's always been about two to three years out in my mind for the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> so my crystal ball has been very foggy there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I just I think that there you know has been a dearth of of companies that have been able to to make it happen, and and those that have gone public have been. You know, I would say so-so. That said, you know, there are a number of companies that have, you know, gotten to the commercial stage that are, you know, on the precip of doing some meaningful things and really developing um, important businesses that I think are, you know, that that investors will want to have the opportunity to put their money into. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm hopeful that the worst is behind us.
0: Right, right. No, and I, and I share that same hope, you know. And in fact, I, I recently um, heard a comment from a, uh, um, a venture capitalist that, that focuses just on like consumer tech. And it was, I think, it was actually at, at some sort of like hackathon or something along those lines, where it was actually a healthcare startup that that you know pitched these these VCs, and, he, and, he, and I think his for this particular uh, VC guy um, says something along the lines of, "It's it's nice to see that you're not you're not you're actually developing something that's that's Worthwhile, not just another app for for food or for restaurants or something like that. And, yeah. and so I I mean it's it's always refreshing to hear that um, that uh, you know someone else's someone else's comments about the, the possibility of, of the public market public market opening back up for, for med tech companies. So with that said, though, um, you had a large strategic recently participate in in a recent um, round of financing. How 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 important it is, is it right now that that large strategic seem to be um, and when I say large strategics, the Covidians, the J&Js, Boston Size, Medtronics of the world, how, is, how important is it for them to be participating in these rounds as sort of a, a bridge between, you know, early stage Series A and maybe later stage Series C, Series D rounds?
1: Yeah, I think, Dave, the strategics have provided a, a critically important source of capital the last couple of years, especially given how the healthcare VCs, I would say, have taken pause and uh, scratch our head somewhat about the current state of the state. And I think in terms of the future of the medical device industry, um, it's been hugely important to, you know, maintain innovation and continuing to advancing patient care. And without the strategic investments that they've made, um, you know, I think it would clearly impact um, how we would be able to, as an industry, improve um, patient outcomes and, and help move the needle in terms of healthcare delivery. So, um, I'm, I'm so appreciative of the investment we have in Medtronic. Um, they came at just the right time, and they've been a fantastic partner for us. Um, they obviously are the sort of leader in the ENT space and have a, a ton of experience to bear. So um, we're fortunate and uh, appreciative.
0: Got it. And in, and in your experience, and I, I don't expect you to speak on behalf of Medtronic at all, but are you seeing that, that most large strategics are viewing their, their venture arms as – as sort of, uh, you know, in sort of an autonomous way? It's, it's, it's a separate entity. Um, or are, are they are they playing more of a strategic role in seeing some of these investments as, as future tuck-in acquisitions?
1: Yeah, I think it varies differently depending on the strategic and the role on their VC plays. I think right now, given the... Um, some of the challenges that uh, you know, sort of the big strategics are facing, and some of the markets that they're in, which I would say is probably at best sluggish. Mm-hmm. Um, they're keenly interested in um, identifying new new avenues for growth, and some of the innovative companies like Intersect could be very interesting for them in the future. And so, having a seat at the table, there's no question that's of value to them. Got it. Cool.
0: Let's let's transition to the. Um, to the 2.3 medical device tax. I think everyone that, that would be listening to this interview is familiar with this device tax and it's, and it's and the fact that it's top line in nature. Being that you're leading a startup device company, what is your opinion of the tax? Um, I'll, we'll start there and see, see where that leads us.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I just had a meeting yesterday with uh, C- Congressman uh, Ron Kind. Uh, he is uh, chair of the... Um, Ways and Means Committee and has been the House Ways and Means Committee, a member of that actually, and uh, has been really instrumental supporter of repeal of the medical device tax. Uh, so um, I've, I've just recently spent some time talking about it. I think, in, you know, long and short of it is the medical device excise tax is really short sighted. Um, I do think there are dramatic unintended consequences of the tax that clearly were not thought through in its creation. Um, I do think its impact is certainly magnified by the tough financing environment uh, that we're all facing. I mean, capital is scarce, pursuing innovation costs money. You know, if we're spending money to the device tax, we're not spending it towards uh, improving patient care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've always thought, like, at a minimum, um, companies that aren't profitable or companies with less than $100 million or whatever that threshold um, is defined as should be excluded from the tax yep. uh, which i think is going to be really important to provide that relief to keep the medtech engine going in the u.s There's a ton of headwinds and this is just you know you would hate for this to be the straw that broke the camel's back
0: right right it, it probably couldn't have come at a at a worse time and uh and to your yeah. point and, and to your point i mean the, the fact that it's top line in nature i i i i have, failed, I have like Failed to come across an a, a good rationale for that I just it's it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to wrap your mind about how how that makes any sense the fact that it's top line in nature um yeah I mean, you know, yeah so. top
1: line versus profit you know and yeah and so, yeah anyway that's my perspective, so uh, we could go on and on and on, but it's uh um I have a little passion uh
0: around that yeah and it's and it's nice to see and i know i know we mentioned cook earlier i mean they, they were uh i had actually did an interview maybe about a year ago with steve ferguson about uh, really about just the device tax overall and it's nice to see that they, they've been very vocal but it's also it's also good to see now that like companies like medtronic are, are beginning to, to get a little bit more vocal about about the uh, the potential negative consequences of the of the de- device tax if at the very least it's not sort of Reformed or reiterated somehow, so um, that's that's definitely nice to see. So we don't have a lot of time left. I wanted to ask you one more question, and then before I, I ask you uh, kind of a final question about your background, but um, we've talked a lot about headwinds. You know, re- from reg- longer regulatory runways, more expensive regulatory timelines, um, lower reimbursement um, seems to be a, a consistent trend. What, in your opinion, are, are there certain things that 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 med tech companies can do? Maybe more so, early stage med tech companies can do to sort of um, face these headwinds. And and you know, as as a you know as a thought to coincide with that question, we talked about direct versus indirect sales forces. Is that is that maybe a trend that you'll see as more companies use, utilizing indirect sales forces as a way to kind of face the headwinds? Or what else maybe? Do you, what other ideas have you have you thought about? In, in sort of uh, in, in, in in trying to grow at a time when uh, when when it's rather challenging um, for the for the medical device community
1: Yeah and that's probably the million dollar question right now um, around the valley is you know as I spend time with my peers is you know how do you, how do you make it happen and how do we actually get innovation into the hands of physicians mm-hmm. I think first and foremost is a early stage is really taking a page from some of the you know, social media and other startups we see around us is bootstrapping. You know, how do you do more with less and be as capital efficient early on um, to de-risk it um, before you put significant capital into a project? So I think that's going to be coming more of a norm, as well as looking for alternative sources of financing. And so, you know, lots of talk about um, non-dilutive ways to finance Angel funding, you know those types of things, just to get something off the ground, um, mm-hmm. because I don't think VCs are, you know, there aren't that many VCs who are really looking at doing Series A investors investment um, that early stage at this point. And so, finding another way to, to move it along the pipeline is going to be ex- incredibly important um, for all of us. And I think about our futures, and you know, as our healthcare needs increase, um, you want to make sure we're we're all benefiting from Sort of the best, uh, the best that the you know the world can offer.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting to hear that in that in you know you're obviously leading a, a startup device company, um, and that you're having a lot of those kind of sort of sidebar conversations. And how do we how do we do more with less? And and what is what are the idea what are the practical ideas uh, to sort of uh, you know execute on some of this or execute on that philosophy anyway? So um, no, that's that's interesting. So we're uh, we're almost we're almost at the kind of the end of our time here. So. Lisa, looking back at your uh, your successful device career, um, and I always like to kind of conclude these interviews like this, but um, looking back, you know, um, what are there one or two things that stand out that you wish you knew back then that you now have since learned?
1: Um, you know, that list could be pretty long, I think. <laughs> um, you know, the one thing I think about, and this is just more for me personally is, you know, I thought sort of throughout my career, I've often been the youngest person in the room, the only woman in the room. Mm. And I think, you know, quite honestly, it was super challenging for me early on in terms of being, um, sort of the odd man out. And, you know, it was challenging for me to speak up, to find my voice. And I think if I look back at that, um, I should have realized I was there for a reason. And it wasn't because I was a woman. It was, it was because I'm capable. And the mm. fact that, You know, I could, you know, help solve problems and add value. And so I think if I look back at my career and wishing I would have realized that earlier on is, you know, to find my voice and to to speak up and, uh, and, uh, contribute in a, in a really meaningful fashion. So I fortunately have gotten that point, uh, to that point at this point in my career. But, uh, um, you know, there's always the, you know, the early stage where you wonder, oh boy, am I really, Am I really as good as the person next to me? And uh, why am I here? And and I know now why I'm here. I've got a lot of a lot of things to add. Yeah,
0: well, no, that's great stuff. You, you realize uh, maybe that the message is to re- you know for those ambitious folks in the device field, whether you're you know you're 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 a young female or a young male, uh, to realize that you belong in some of those rooms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And it's intimidating. I mean, there's amazing people who've done such incredible things in uh, medical technology, and I've benefited incredibly uh, from a number of them, and in my team, I feel like I stand on the shoulders of them, and, you know, but they're intimidating, you know. There's some incredibly bright, very capable, very accomplished folks, um, but at the end of the day, you're all trying to do the, the same thing, which is, you know, create value for physicians and patients and improve healthcare. care, um, and so, you know, staying focused on that common mission, so the rest of things fall into place. Huh. Good stuff. That's a, that's a great that's a great uh, great way to to
0: conclude this interview. So for those listening that want to either learn more about you, Lisa, to learn more about Intersect ENT, what's the what? Where where would you like to direct them?
1: Yeah, you know, you're welcome to reach out to me. Um, we have a, a website first of all, uh, www.propellopens.com, and then feel free to to reach out to me directly um, via you know either via the website or just via L. Earnhardt at introspectent.com. Happy to uh, to talk more offline.
0: Uh, that's very that's very kind of you to leave your to leave your email. We'll see. And and for those of you listening, if you've gotten some of this out, out of this interview or if you're if you're young and ambitious and wanna wanna shoot Lisa an email, you need to email me and let me know how that went. Because I'm always interested to find out how uh, you know what you've learned from uh, from uh, as I said earlier, proven and experienced medtech uh, medtech thought leaders like, uh, like Lisa. So, uh, thanks a ton for, for doing the interview, Lisa. Really appreciate it. For the, and like, like uh, I'll just repeat it. You said um, the the, be- the website was Propel Opens, P R O P E L O P E N S? Yeah. Propelopens.com. So, uh, so, check it out if you want to learn a little bit more about Propel and Intersect ENT. So, uh, very cool. Lisa, I'll have you hold on the line real quick. But, um, but thanks, uh, thanks a ton for listening, uh, folks. And, again, if you're listening to this online, feel free to uh, check or download the uh, – or subscribe, I should say, to the free MedSider podcast. Just do an iTunes search for MedSider, M-E-D-S-I-D-E-R. The podcast will come up. Just click the subscribe for free. That way all the new interviews will automatically download to your iTunes account. And so you can consume these interviews in a, uh, a number of different ways. So uh, thanks, for everyone, for, uh, for listening. And until the next episode, uh, take care.